just want to start out this morning by asking uh, if you are, if you're a husband here in this place, would you just lift your hand? Can I just identify all the husbands? All right. I think I got you spotted right there. Uh, just a question just for these husbands today. How many of you at some point in your marriage, whether you've been married six months, 16 months, or 60 years, how many, how many of you guys at some point along the way would have wished you had some insight into how to make your wife come to that place where she forgave you for some kind of transgression against her. She got upset with you and you spent a better part of an hour, a day, a week, a month, or a year trying to heal that fracture. Can I just see your hands if you've ever been in that place? Husbands, amen, all right. Today I wanna talk to you about something very important. Most believers have no real understanding of God's grace. Now, we use that word all the time. Well, it's by God's grace I made it through. Or we hear it once in a while doctrinally in the book of Ephesians when it says, by grace, we're saved. But when you really get down to it, most believers have no clue in an understanding of really how encompassing, how broad God's grace is, or even really what it's made up of. Do you understand that your Bibles communicate time and time again about all the different dimensions of grace? For instance, we look in our Bibles and we see over there in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7 that we're saved by what? By grace. So we know there's saving grace. You get over there in the book of Psalms, seven different times it talks about singing grace. And almost every time it's mentioned, it talks about when we're downcast, when we come to those points in our lives, when we don't feel like worshiping or we don't feel worthy to worship. And God provides us incredibly singing grace. In just a moment, we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. I hope you'll go ahead and locate that. But there's a whole section in our New Testament about verses that deal with sufficient grace. In other words, whatever you and I face, even in the midst of failures in those situations, there's God propping us up. There's God supporting us. There's God loving on us and encouraging us. In fact, our New Testament goes further and says, hey, we have abounding grace. There's just rolls and rolls of God's grace. So today I want to spend just about five minutes talking to you and helping equip you to better understand the dimensions of grace. And then I want us to jot down five habits that if you'll be able to master these five habits in your life, it's going to help you to eliminate a lot of the challenges in terms of the channels and vehicles of God's grace attempting to enter our lives. Many times those become stacked up and clogged up and even to the point that we're only receiving a portion of the very grace that God intends us to receive. But first, let's read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm just going to read this one verse to get us started today in verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse number 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, one of the important dimensions that you and I have got to understand about God's grace is 
It is an unfolding process. Yes, if you're a believer here today, and that's what we're talking about over these last six weeks, is your faith for real? That's the whole series idea. And if it is, then you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and little by little, you are experiencing new dimensions of God's grace. Last night, I attended a Texas High School Coaches Association, the East Texas group, uh, an induction ceremony because my father was inducted into the East Texas Coaches Hall of Fame. And uh, I've never been so nervous because he has dementia. He's, He's struggling mentally. He can't tell you five minutes after he's done something what happened I mean, his short-term memory is almost non-existent now. And here's my dad in front of hundreds of people receiving this award. And so mother worked with him. I went and sat down with him again right before. I noticed he was making some ad-libs with his pen, kind of like, I'm going to say this. I was like, Dad, draw a line through that. You just read what's on the sheet. But last night, for me, I learned uh, again about God's grace. How God took a, a, a incredible man that's only just a portion of what he was 10 years ago and a portion of what he was 20 and 30 and 40 years ago. And I watched how God's grace ministered to him and allowed him with grace and dignity to receive that award. It wasn't that I was feared that he would embarrass me. It was fear that uh, more than anything that it would be an embarrassment for him. And you know, it's God that comes in into our lives at certain points when we are desperate. You know, that's my greatest fear in these next 26 minutes with you is that you're gonna take these five things that I'm gonna toss out to you in a few moments and you're gonna see them some kind of a self-help kind of thing. And if you receive it that way, then, then everything I've communicated with you is broken. What I want you to understand about God's grace is it begins to minister when you and I are desperate. God's grace becomes very evident when we're totally reliant and dependent upon him. When you and I get to that point where we can't and we cry out to God, it's in that moment that we begin to see the outpouring of God's grace. It's the church leader that in the wee hours of the morning is going in there on that computer and looking at porn. He's embarrassed. He doesn't want anyone to know. He's broken but not at this point in a dimension of his life where he's willing to surrender that and acknowledge that even to an accountability group. So he's not ready to see God's incredible unfolding grace because he's not willing to bring that before God to receive that grace. You see, there's a word in evangelical circles. We won't dwell on it much, but it is a, it's, it's, I mean, it's a simple concept and it's the, it's the concept of justification. When you and I sin and transgress, God has so allowed his grace to be the glue to repair the relationship. In fact, justification by God's grace means to repair back to a similar standard. So I, I don't know about you, but I don't have any other relationship except my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, my holy God that has a built-in dimension that there's not gonna be really any repercussions in terms of the relationship part. Oh, no, there's gonna be some consequences of, of, of the sin, the transgression, 
But in terms of the heartfelt relationship that God has with me, it's completely wiped away. It's completely, completely gone. And God says, hey, I'm restoring this thing. Are you ready? To how it was in the very start. All of that, all that baggage is gone. Three things I want you to jot down. If you brought something or you grabbed one of our little bulletin cards that has the built-in notes for you about grace. First of all, I want you to imagine grace like water always coming freely and it's flowing what? Downhill. God's grace comes freely. We hear that word often associated with grace when you go through your New Testament. It's his, it's his what? It's his free grace. It's God giving his grace freely. And it's interesting, grace always seems to run downhill. You say, well, pastor, what are you talking about? Water and grace running downhill. Well, the second thing I hope will clarify it. Second thing, grace always flows to a humble heart. It's in those moments of desperation when we can't. That's where the flowing downhill into the heart that is humbled, is broken, is desperate. That's where God is going to do his most amazing work. And then the third thing, grace always flows through certain channels and vehicles of our lives. There's certain ways that God pours that into our lives. Salvation is one of those. The sufficiency through very difficult times and our weakness, we just read about that. God's grace is manifested in that way. Other times, you get into these what we call variegated, multifaceted situations, and God's grace is abounding God has poured out a reservoir waiting for us of his grace and his power. But what I want us to look at this morning is oftentimes, and we'll just identify five of these. There's five things that I want you to concentrate on with me for just a moment. That means we have about three minutes for each one of the five. So Isaiah's in charge up here. If I go over 308 on each one of these, you let me know your time is up. Don't do that because I'm going to go over on the very first one, Isaiah, okay? First thing, let's jot these, these things. And by the way, I packaged them where you will remember them. You will remember these. Number one, first habit that we need to have in our lives if we're going to ex experience this reservoir of God's grace. And what is God's grace? It is the ability to what? Justify even in our sin and transgressions back to a very what? Original state of relationship. Only in God do we have that kind of relationship with him. Number one, first thing that needs to be changed in terms of cultivating grace by an alarm clock. I told you, you'll remember them. Number one, by an alarm clock. Up here singing on this Sunday morning, we had two ETBU students standing on this end. Man, uh, college days are an interesting time when it comes to our time management. Uh, I hated 8 a.m. classes, even at ETBU. I hated them. But I think that administration sets those up where you just... Those prerequisite, those demanding, I mean, you got to have this to graduate kind of courses. I mean, those kind of courses, I mean, they put a ton of those at AM just to make sure you're up, moving about. I, I know that for a fact. And so I had an alarm clock and I had it set for 7.36 AM. It only took four minutes to get from the dorm to the classroom. That's if I kind of hustled and jogged a little bit. And, and so uh, I would hit snooze. I had it timed out where I could hit snooze, 7.36, one, two, three. 
And then it would leave me about six minutes before class started. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever tried to get ready and get out of bed and, and to class in six minutes, even if you live on campus. But here's what it requires. Number one, you don't have time to dress, so you just throw on some sweats. Number two, believe it or not, I had hair then. No time to wash hair and take a shower and all that. So baseball cap, very important. Number three, no time to brush teeth. Boy, that's a blessing, isn't it? And so candy and gum on the way to class. In the class, 30 seconds before it started, plopped down, only to be seated by a young lady who'd been up since six, prepping and priming, and man, she looked amazing in class, and here you sat in your sweats. That's called a lack of margin in our lives. I share all that to tell you, hey, grace, listen to me, flowing in our lives starts every single day with us carving out time, in, for the most part, with him first and foremost before the day begins. Now, we can have a lot of discussion, but well, you, you, Pastor, you can have a quiet time at lunch, and, and I, I'm a late sleeper, and yeah, but hey, half your day has been spent. Or others, well, Pastor, I, I do my devotional at night. Well, I guess you're doing it at night, and you're going to ask God's grace for the next day, right? It, it, it must be for the next day because it's too late to do anything about this day. And I would just suggest to you that one of the most difficult things, but yet one of the most rewarding things in all of our lives is to spend some time with our God every single day. And you might just want to jot this down. That's what we call the principle of priority. The first things being first. And you know, oftentimes when it comes to a daily quiet time, I'm telling you, man, this is a key and a catalyst. I spent half of my life without this. And I'm telling you, it has made a world of difference in my life. Many times getting that process started is painful. And then as you go a little further and you're hit or miss and you're kind of getting your, your, your daily devotional quiet time kind of thing going, hey, it transitions more, I'm just telling you by experience, more it's kind of like it's a duty or a responsibility only to find out eventually it becomes a habit. But it will end up, if you'll stay with it, as a total delight. Because when you are able to start your day, even if it's 15 minutes, calm, collected, with the Lord and say, now, Lord, I've got some things going today that I'm going to need your counsel. I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your guidance. This is not going to be easy day. It's in those moments that that channel, that vehicle of God's grace begins to flow into your life. We go to Mardell's, some Christian bookstore. Hey, there's free stuff online. I mean, you can go get uh, devotional studies from sports heroes, from movie stars, fishing experts. I mean, uh, you, you can get one of the traditional, Oswald Chambers. I mean, there's all kinds of devotional guides out there for us. That's not the issue. The issue is you willing to take time at the start of your day and open up that incredible ch uh, uh, channel of God's, Wow, his grace to flow into it. Can I just give you three little things that are very important that I found just from experience? This is from the school of hard knocks. If you even, if the spirit of God says, hey, I need to be doing that. I need to be doing that. And so you start. Can I just say first, don't be too hard on yourselves when you miss a day or two. So many people start a daily devotional 
only to get sidetracked because after two or three days of missing, they look around and they say, hey, I've already missed two days, so what's, so what's I mean, I mean I, I, I'm just going to forget it. Please don't do that. Don't be that hard on yourself. Number two, don't give up. Stay after it. I'm telling you, all the things we're talking about this morning, you spending time with the Lord every single day or every day that you can in a consistent way, it will be a game changer for you. And number three, if you're really serious, there's somebody in your life that will serve as kind of an accountability and encourager. I would just let them know, hey, I'm starting something that's going to be very challenging. I'm a late sleeper. In fact, let me give you this principle. Now, here's a godly principle. Many of us, our first battle of the day is, bat is the battle of mind over mattress. And so many times it's that accountability partner. That after four or five days says, hey, you told me to check with you. How are you doing on your devotional life? And sometimes that accountability partner can make the difference. Can I just tell you again, your life will change if you'll carve out just a few minutes for your very creator, for your savior, for your God. He yearns for that. And even though you may not recognize it today, your heart yearns for that as well. Number two, not only should we buy an alarm clock, but we should take out the trash. Number two, we should take out the trash. That's what we call the principle of transformation in terms of the Bible. When you look at the entire New Testament together, you, you see this over and over, especially in the book of Romans, where the Bible talks to us about there's certain things that do not need to be lodged in our minds and our hearts because they become what? They become blockages to so much of that which God has for us in terms of the outflow of his grace into our lives. I was sharing in the first service when I was pastoring in Upshur County up here at a little community that has just been introduced to football called Gilmer, the Gilmer Buckeyes. Uh, by the way, that's a joke after seven state championships in the last 20 years. But anyway, uh, I was pastoring there. And on Christmas Eve of all things, I think it was my third year there, um, everybody was kind of leaving. And, of course, I was excited about getting home and getting the family. It was Christmas Eve, man. Uh, 6, 6.30, right after the little 45-minute service we had. Anyway, I was going to uh, lock up the front door. Some other staff said, hey, we'll see you later, Pastor. Have a great Christmas. They'd gone out the other doors. I was greeting a few people. And uh, a family, I, can, I mean, I'd never even seen them before, husband, wife, two kids, uh, came to our Christmas Eve service. And that's not uncommon. We have family members and guests all the time at Christmas Eve in any church, really, that you've never seen before. And I could tell they were kind of milling around and they were some of the last ones to leave. And as they came to the door, they said, Pastor, can we just mention something to you? Uh, we're kind of embarrassed, but we need some food. I said, sure. And I thought, man, I don't even have my food pantry guys here. Luckily, I had a key. Billy Green and some others in our church were taking ramrodding that ministry and they had already left. It's Christmas Eve of all things. I said, hey, if you'll wait right here, I'll take you across to where the food pantry is and I'll load you up with some food. And they said, oh, that'd be great. And so anyway, we locked the door. We went across the street. I had him fill out a little simple sheet. And uh, anyway, Billy Green, when he came in after the holidays, said, Pastor, where'd all that food go? I guess I gave him three times. I mean, like three sacks. I just thought we gave it all to him. It's like, no, one family gets one sack. You gave them three sacks. But anyway, they had a great Christmas Eve with lots of food. And uh, it, it was a special time. About three weeks later, they come back in January. 
cold, cold Sunday morning. They ask again, Pastor, we, we need some food. I said, well, uh, I got some guys here on campus that'll help you. Our, our food pantry guys were here and I said, hey, this family's back and they need some help. Can we give them some food? So they took them over and gave some food. And then about two months went by, we didn't see them. They came back, I don't know, late March, early April. And uh, again, they needed food. And so uh, one of the other pastors and I went out to their home. They lived about four or five miles outside of Gilmore, Texas. And we went out there to their home, drove up, pretty nice home, got there, had three horses. I was kind of looking at them driving up, thinking, man, I bet these horses hadn't had anything to eat. Man, they, man, they look great, you know? Got a little closer, and of course, here come the dogs out in the rural house. Here they come. Well, not one, not two, three big old dogs. I thought, man, these poor little dogs probably, <laughs> they've been having to eat rabbits, man. They ain't had nothing to eat. And uh, uh, man, when they came up to the car, jumping up all on the car and stuff, man, those dogs were healthy, man. I mean, well fed. So anyway, we made our way to the house, knocked on the front door. People were there, very nice. Come on in, pastor. It's good to see you. Come on in. As soon as this other pastor and I walked into the door, it smelled so horrible in the house. And I noticed coming in, there were several cats. We went in and sat down on the couch. There were cats everywhere. I know I saw at least nine or ten different cats. So we start visiting with them have a great visit. Kind of toward the end, of the end of the visit, I was trying to tactfully think how to communicate this to the family. So I said, hey, you guys come back anytime. If we can help you, we'll continue to help you. Can I just ask you a question? I don't want you to take offense. But have you ever thought about having a few less cats so that you can eat? And man, that lady kind of cocked her head and she looked at me and she said, now pastor, these 19 cats, they're part of our family. And I said, well, I understand that. I've got some animals of my own and they are special. But I just wonder if you ever thought about that. So anyway, I had a great visit with them, turned around, went out, got in the car and were driving out the driveway. I looked at this other pastor, he was driving. And I said, hey, uh, did you notice anything strange about the inside of that house? He said, pastor, do you see my window cracked over here? And I said, yeah, why is your window down? He said, Pastor, I almost threw up. He said, I don't see how you talk to those people. I almost, he said, it took everything in me to stay there. He said, that was the most putrid, rank, stinking house I've ever been in. I thought, man, did, did they realize that? We go down the road a little further and I mentioned him, I said, you know, you know something that's bothering me? I don't think those people saw the things that we saw, smelled the things that we smelled. In fact, the more I think about it, that whole family of four people were completely desensitized from the issue that was around them because they've been living in that so long. I share that with you because I'm going to ask something today and I hope I ask it in just a, as, as Becky's been working with me, a very sensitive way. Do you think it's possible, just asking, that you've watched people shoot and stab and blow each other up so long that you don't even realize the smell or the cost of that. 
I just wonder if, if there's anyone here that has watched filth so long in innocent story time, doing the soaps in the afternoon, uh, a little bit of HBO here or there, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But you've watched that so long, people taking their clothes off and sexual innu innuendos. You've watched it so long that when I ask you, you kind of cock your head like you're doing right now to me and you're saying, now, when a pastor, that's just a part of who I am. When I suggest to you that one of the things you and I need to be faithful to do is take out the trash, we've got to be willing through the Holy Spirit to understand better Romans 12 too. I want you to hear it again. I know you know it, but I want you to listen in this frame of reference on this Lord's Day. Romans 12 too. Don't, don't conform to the pattern of this world. We got that, don't we? but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We got that, but now listen to this. It's when you do that, the renewing of God in your mind. He says, you will be able to test and what? And approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, that family had been living in that condition so long, that trash you can't let cat poop lay around in your house. You can't live that way. Well, you can. But if you live that way long enough, you won't, you'll stop noticing the smell. And when, and, and, and when the very Spirit of God comes calling in your life and says, hey, this, this needs to be altered. Hey, that filth has been there so long. But as a society, we're paying Hollywood, we sit in these rocking chairs and eat their popcorn and we pay them to infill our minds with that filth. And I ask you, can you smell that? And you just looking at me like you are right now cross-eyed. Like, no, I can't smell it. Really? So important that you and I regularly take out the trash, the junk in our minds. Man, God's calling, calling us today to sever some of this stuff going on in our lives that has no business being there. That smell, that pollute of the heart and soul. You, I, we've gotten used to it. We, sometimes we don't even recognize that it's there. So again, Set our mind, allow God to renew that. That's the principle of transformation. We've got to hurry. Number three, do your own dishes. Principle three, do your own dishes. Can I just tell you, this really represents a very big need in the Christian life of responsibility and witness. It's the principle of responsibility and witness. It's being faithful, as our Lord says, in the little things because those little things have a big impact on the others around us. I don't know if y'all let dishes pile up in your house or not. That's happened one time in 38 years of marriage for me. I mean, we never have more than one or two dishes in the sink. I hope I don't get struck down here, okay? But 
You know, it's amazing. You know, we take a dish, we put it in the sink, we take a dish, we put it in the sink, we, we're going to wash it later. Somebody else will wash it. When we get to it, we're, we're too busy. Maybe we even good enough to rinse it off. And I, the next thing you know, we've got a pile, we've got a mess there, don't we? And one of the principles that you and I have got to understand in our lives is God's grace stops flowing many times when this, well, when this lack of responsibility occurs in our lives. I was thinking the other day about being part of, uh, I, I've never been an active Gideon, but I've always had a lot of Gideons, guys that spread the God's word, carry Bibles and all those kind of things. In fact, took a little trip with three of our Gideons one time in New Mexico, just a couple hours away, and I was sharing in our earlier service about this, kind of an interesting little twist. We were uh, heading up to north, just north of Santa Fe, up in the Taos area and for a little meeting up there, and Three great guys, and anyway, we got about halfway, and sure enough, one of them, hey, I gotta use the bathroom, you know, so we said, well, we all can go, so we pulled off there, and pulled off to a typical convenience store, and we'd had great conversation, and anyway, we kind of wait our turn, you know, how those little convenience store bathrooms are, there's a little gas station there in the middle of nowhere. Anyway, and uh, so I, I, was, I was finishing up washing my hands, another guy came in, he was taking care of his business, and when he got through, I was drying, had one of those, those briars, had a big pile of paper towels there on the other side of the sink. And so I was over at that dryer. I noticed he came and got a whole wad of those paper towels. And then he put them under the sink, got him some soap, pushed that door of the stall back open and went in there and started wiping down that commode in a convenience store. Now, now did you hear what I said? A convenience store. Man, I mean, he got down on one knee, man. He was wiping the side of the commode bowl. I mean, like, better than the professional cleaners are supposed to do it. He had a whole wad of those paper towels. He throws them in. Then he washes his hands, sanitizes his hands. Then he begins to wash down and dry off the whole sink. Well, I stepped on out and I thought, man, Mr. Frank is compulsive. That's what I thought. We get back in the car. Well, you know your pastor, man. I just couldn't resist. We're riding along there, and I said, Mr. Frank, can I ask you a question? Well, sure, pastor. Were you, did I see you wiping down the commode in the dead gum? Convenient bathroom, convenience store bathroom? Yeah. And boy, that's all I needed to do. And here it came, the outpouring. He said, you know, Pastor, when I agreed to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, I heard the call that he had on my life. I was commissioned as a disciple to leave things always better than I found them. Always. He said, you know, Pastor, have you ever thought about this? He said, the next man that walks in there, we have no idea what that man's going through emotionally, physically, spiritually. But the last thing I want him to have to do is to walk in like so many times we have and took some convenience store that hadn't taken care of their business. Even those times that it's so dirty, we, just, we won't go there. We'll just hold it. And you know, the more you think about that, the time Jesus spent on talking about the little things. Of course, right out of the chute, Jesus' very first message, you remember what he said in Matthew 5? You're the light. Wherever you go following me, you're the light of this world. 
And your light, it's going to shine for others. You remember him saying that? And that they may see your good deeds and then glorify the Father in heaven. Luke kicks in in Luke 16, 10 and says, whoever can be trusted with a little. Maybe there's a young man that's in this group of worshipers today and God's given you just kind of a, a little group to take care of or a little responsibility to take care of. Maybe it's a, a mom that says, hey, we just got a little house, just a small place. I just want you to be mindful of something very important. Your responsibility. Do your own dishes. I wonder how important it is to talk to our students about this today. Maybe they think because God saved them that there's going to be a Christian fairy that's going to come pick up their clothes and clean their room for them. Maybe it's a little Christian fairy that comes in and washes the dishes for them, rubs their back in the morning. No, you and I, we're a light. We're a light for our family. We're a light for our workplace, our school, our church, our community. Do your own dishes. Number four and five, you gotta listen quickly. Number four, write it down. Number four, write it down. If you really want to receive the full grace that God wants to pour out in your life, you gotta be willing to follow this principle of clarity. I love Proverbs chapter 20, verse five, one of my top 10 incredible verses in my life. Proverbs 25 says, the purpose, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. That's what we yearn for. That's our heart. Those feelings and that, the, the, the desires of our heart. The, 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 the writer of Proverbs says that's deep waters. But then he came back at the end of verse 20 and verse five and says, but the one who has insight draws them out. He writes, she writes them down. Can I just encourage you? Everybody in here is busy. Everybody's overloaded, overcommitted lives, busyness. In fact, as a culture, we take pride in that. The busier we are, the more valuable we seem to make ourselves to those around us. But if we don't, and we're not willing to come back and prioritize and really talk about what's important. And can I just mention these two things? The use of a calendar and the use of journaling. How important are those when it comes to writing things down in our lives? It's amazing if we would prioritize things and have more time to spend on tasks with our God. How, how much more, how, how bigger a dimension and relationship development. There's so much more that he wants to do in our lives, but we're too busy. It's too big a challenge. Number five, do it now. Do it now. This is the principle of inertia. I want to encourage you today, if you don't do anything else, start attacking life and stop procrastinating. As believers, what does the Bible say? We're more than what? We're more than victorious. We're more than overcomers. We need to live. 
I'm so tired of hearing people tell me I don't have enough time. Let me tell you, the next time you're tempted to say that, I want you to go into your house and I want you to take all four TV remotes, pull the batteries out of them, and that's going to give you 10 to 23 hours more every single week. You're welcome. You think about how much television you watch in a week. Very few of you in here don't spend at least 10 hours in front of the television every every seven days. And some of you spend upwards of 20 to 30 hours in front of a television or a computer screen. Now, pastor, we can't take the batteries out of that. First things first. So when you and I face the hardest task of the day, do it now. When we get that bill, pay it now. When we, when we need to ask for forgiveness in our lives, do it now. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, now, 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 Pastor, when things calm down, I'm going to do this. This happened to me today. We had a man that had some pretty significant surgery in Tyler, what, a week and a half ago. I called and I said, the lady said, hey, my husband's on liquid diet. We don't, we don't need any food. Don't bring any food. And I said, well, I, I'll call soon. Well, I look up there today. It's a week and a half. She comes up, not about the food, but I was just talking to her about how her husband was. And, and man, it just hit me right in the face. I procrastinated. So I said, in the next 40 hour, 48 hours, I'm going to be at your house with a meal. And I am. But every one of us have been there from time to time. Pastor, when things calm down, then, or we say, you know, after this season of my life is over, or, boy, here it is right here, and, or when this is finally over. Have you ever noticed how many times in your lives following those statements, nothing ever happens? So today, the principle of inertia, spiritual momentum. Jesus tried to experience that with the disciples. There'd be a miracle, there'd be a couple things, there'd be great victories. Oh, Peter, you finally got it. Peter, I'm proud of you. You haven't cursed in seven days. Straight, that's amazing, Peter. Good job, dude. I mean, mean, Jesus was always trying to create that kind of inertia and spiritual momentum. And only from time to time to be sidetracked with something else had a sweet lady come up to me the other day and she said, well, pastor, we, looks like we're going to have to put off building this new facility out here and starting our new campus. And I said, what? No, ma'am, we're not, we're not delaying starting that. Oh, she said, oh, yes. The Ukrainians, they're, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a terrible time. Gas is going to reach $4 a gallon. I said, have you got just a second to sit down with me? She said, yes. I said, come in here and sit down for just a minute. I want to ask you some questions. She said, okay. So I sat down and I said, you know, over the last five years, when would it have been a good time to start a new campus? Maybe 2017. I I come as pastor. She said, oh, no. You got to have time to get used to the people. People get used to you. I said, okay. Well, maybe two years later. Well, we... We couldn't do anything. Then the steeple blew off the church and flooded a million-dollar claim. You don't remember that? We were all thrown into that center and had several services. It was a terrible time to do anything. Yes, ma'am, it was. I said, well, what about the last couple weeks? Well, you can't do anything during a pandemic. And I said, well, what's the challenge now? Well, I told you. The world's too full of uncertainty. And I just remember those 14 people 
that our church family commissioned in 2017. It was the most amazing telltale thing for me. They came out of seven months of work. These are several long-time members of the church. And do you know how simple they made our vision statement? It simply reads, let's go to work. You want to know why they arrived there? They look back at 40 years, the last 40 years of our church fellowship. No building, no expansion, no vision. It was just never a good time to do much of anything. And so let me tell you, one of the big drivers of God's grace is when we stretch and we're willing to do everything to accomplish what he's called us to accomplish. Three weeks ago, early one morning, God called me back to Proverbs 24, one of those great moments in all the Bible when he deals with this very issue of shrinking back, laziness, off track. You remember the words? Oh, a little sleep, a little slumber, the little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. How do we come to that point in our lives where we can tap into God's abounding grace? Not just his saving grace, we're thankful for that. But God has singing grace and sufficient grace and abounding grace and the grace is unlimited. But many times we're missing one or more of these five habits that can literally change our lives. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for these moments that we've had in your word today. I thank you for focus because, Father, the focus that we have will always determine our finish. Focus always determines finish. So, Father, as we continue to worship this morning, I just pray for your willingness to unleash your grace into the hearts of our fellowship, these that are worshiping with us today. If you would just continue, as you have been, to develop the relationship that we have with you. And, Father, in those moments when we transgress, when we sin, and that relationship is broken and marred. Father, notice I didn't, I didn't speak to you today about anything being severed because Lord, we know when we're in you regardless, you are holding us. Our salvation is not based on our good works, our strength to sustain a relationship, but on you holding us. But Father, there's so much more to that relationship. We want your unlimited grace in our lives. We want that systematic encouragement that, that sense of, of putting things back together. So Father, for the one that may be here today that is concealing something or thinking they're concealing something in their life, maybe they're a key church leader, maybe alcohol's eating them up today. I pray that that would be confessed, that would be shared with accountability partner. Father, that in, in that moment, in the humility and brokenness of coming clean, that's when you will start downhill pouring into that humble heart your grace. Father, for the individual that's struggling with porn today, for the individual that's struggling with lust, for the individual that is in a big, big mess financially, but yet we walk around here and portray everything's okay. 
Father, it's these moments that we, you need to seize our hearts and point us to the very grace that's available for us. But it will never start until we come clean with you. Father, grace is about restoration. It's about putting a relationship back in classic form just as when it began with no blemish, no, no mark. And so, Father, as humans, it's so difficult for us to understand true forgiveness. For all we have is a frame of reference is the hurts and pains that we have and the face, the outward expression, well, I guess you're forgiven. But we know inwardly many times we hold on to that pain. We continue to have suspicion and judgment about future things. And Father, that's a part of our humanness. But we do not worship a human God today. Even though you came in human form for just a small season, Father, you are the great omniscient, all-powerful God. So Father, we're thankful that you have to offer us the sufficiency of grace despite our weakness. Father, we love you and worship you. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.